Unique New York. Unique New York. How now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? I promise, if you have a stiff one in front of you, it'll only make things less awkward. Well, actually, we don't have time for that. Welcome back to Drunkenomics. You know what it is. This is the drinking presentation with an economics problem. So glad you all can join us. And due to unforeseen circumstances, James got called away to work. So I am here by myself. Actually, I'm not by myself. I'm accompanied with this nice dram of Irish whiskey by McConnell's, which is the pride of all Belfast, Ireland. Hopefully you have a nice stiff drink in front of you as well. That'll only make things less awkward. And uh, with that said, I'm so glad you're joining me for this uh, for this presentation. I'm totally unprepared, just like I was at all of my presentations throughout grad school. Uh, and here we are. It's a lot more fun when you're drinking, though. <laughs> Anyways, my name is Aaron Wong. I am the more and less gracious host for this half an episode. And as I mentioned earlier on Monday, I don't know if you caught a piece of that episode or not. Um, we decided to split this week's episode into two different pieces because there was a lot of news coming out between when we usually record, which is we usually record on Mondays, and today, um, you know, a lot of news about the CPI data was coming out today. And this was kind of a, for some reason, an integral CPI report. Why was it more integral than the other ones? Well, apparently this was a report on whether or not inflation was transitory or it wasn't transitory. People wanted to know if inflation peaked um, at its levels back in June or, or in July or whatever it was. Um, and people are also really heavily anticipating for that Jackson Hole meeting where all the Federal Reserve chairmen have meetings about having more meetings and talk about the possibility of tapering. So because of that, um, I think that is the reason why I wanted to do another half episode after the CPI data came out this morning. Hold on one second. Let me take a sip of this whiskey. So since Monday, I mean, seriously, I mean, a lot has happened since Monday, starting with... I think one of the key things that we saw yesterday was that the infrastructure bill has passed. Now, I mean, obviously, this is a pretty sizable economic event. I mean, there were a bunch of mergers, too. I mean, uh, was it was it Canadian Pacific or something like that announced their bid for uh, for Kansas City Southern, which, yeah, I mean, that's definitely very newsworthy. Also, AMC came out with earnings, uh, which I think we talked about on Monday. I don't remember. I was drinking then, too. I'm drinking now, so whatever. Uh, but as far as like strict economic news goes, one of the key things that we saw, obviously, was the infrastructure bill. Now, I've seen um, a bunch of numbers getting tossed around about the infrastructure bill. And apparently, every news report that I'm seeing says that this is a bipartisan infrastructure bill. And for some reason, I just don't see eye to eye with that. Um I think this is very much a partisan infrastructure bill. But regardless, uh, you do your research and do your due diligence and let me know if I'm wrong. And if I am, I'll happily take another shot of Irish whiskey. Regardless, the bill is passed. There was no surprise that once it reached the Senate floor that I mean, it was going to pass with flying colors. You know, and pretty much the layout of the bill is, I mean, it's a $1 trillion bill. I think $1.2 trillion is the grand total Um Now, about the bill, I mean, there's a lot of good and bad things about this bill. The first and foremost is, I mean, a lot of people that were really critical of this bill since the beginning, they're the ones going like, dude, what's this going to do with inflation? What's this going to do with inflation? And that still seemed to be the concern pretty much right up to when this bill got passed. I think it's still a concern after the bill has gotten passed. Um, I've seen two figures about the bill too. I've seen the $550 billion figure. If you do see that $550 billion figure, uh, that's mainly just for, I think, looks like transportation, broadband, and utilities. 
Uh, I mean, the bill is about 2,702 pages. I didn't have the time to go through all that. Um, I'm sure you can understand. Um, I have other things to do, such as eat and sleep. So I don't know the full details of this bill. I know a lot of it is about rolling, is about in, improving uh, our, our supply chain bottlenecks. I know one of the things that they talked about was that there weren't enough ports or something like that, and they wanted to build more ports. You know, so that's kind of the positive of this bill is that, you know, does it open up the bottlenecks in the supply chain? I think it absolutely could. But at the same time, is there going to be a lot of waste in this bill? I mean, it's a government bill. Of course, there's going to be a lot of waste in it. And uh, one of the things that I'm worried about, too, is the whole debt ceiling suspension, which this is a subject that all you loyal economics know that we've been pounding on for the last like four weeks. The debt ceiling suspension, uh, which started back in August of 2019, has come to an end as of August 2021. Uh, this, it was a suspension that started before COVID. A lot of spending has occurred since it started. And between the time it started and ended, we have increased our deficit by $5 trillion. Now, as I'm sure if you remember, we mentioned a couple of episodes ago that if the U.S. government defaults on any loans, because you know we have a lot of payments coming due here pretty soon, um, a lot of bonds coming to maturity, a lot of government salaries are, you know, it's time for them to get paid. You know, do we default on loans in October? I have no idea. I mean, the extraordinary measures I think are starting to to roll out. I mean, you know, we're not issuing any more new debt. And on top of this infrastructure bill, this is a spending bill. So we're announcing a $1 trillion spending bill at the same time that our deficit is at $5 trillion. I think that's another big criticism of the infrastructure bill is that this is coming out at a time in which, look, our, our deficit is, at, is $5 trillion. We're not lifting the ceiling. I don't even know if it'd be smart to lift the ceiling if we were going to lift the ceiling and we haven't extended the suspension, which I don't know if that's a smart thing to do either. But, you know, I think the smart thing to do would be to get our spending under control. But at the same time, it's like, you know what, we're not going to get our spending under control in the next, you know, five minutes. So let's push back the suspension or let's, you know, lift the debt ceiling a little bit, just a little bit, um, until we figure out how to get our spending under control or until we figure out how to bring in more dollars to pay off and not default on those loans. So the timeliness of this infrastructure bill, I think, was one of the big criticism, like I said, of this bill. Um, this bill also got paired pretty much exactly at the same time of this, um, you know, like it got voted in on, I think, yesterday at like 11 o'clock Eastern. And then at the same time, the Senate proposed this uh, this budget resolution plan, a $3.5 trillion uh, budget resolution plan that would really it's supposed to expand Medicare tax credits, climate initiatives. It's it's supposed to um, you know in, invest in what, what Biden likes to use. I'm using his words only. He likes to invest in human infrastructure. So apparently, it's supposed to go towards that greener energy. You know, he's been a huge proponent of EVs and all that kind of stuff. So this budget resolution is also, I mean, it's, it's an additional spending plan, but I think because it's technically a budget plan, this is one of those things that once it gets passed, you know, this budget recon reconciliation thing, I think it'll actually lift the debt ceiling. I don't know for sure. If you do know, please let me know. You know where to find me at John Canonical on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can join our Discord, or you can shoot us a DM on TikTok, or shoot us a message on LinkedIn. 
um, whatever. I mean, feel free to reach out to us anytime. But I mean, this is technically a budget plan and it doesn't need to actually, because of the way the Senate is set up, I don't think it actually needs to get any sort of Republican votes. I mean, to my knowledge, and I'm not like the most well-versed person on budget reconciliation, but because it's a budget reconciliation, uh, you can go in there and you can change existing rules on how you're going to receive tax dollars, um, how you're going to spend and rules on debt. So if you want to lift the debt ceiling a little bit by three, three and a half trillion dollars or something like that, um, you know, you can fold that into the budget reconciliation plan. And this is kind of, you know, from what I've heard, a lot of people in power, a lot of uh, political parties have used the reconciliation plan to blend their goals into the budget plan. This is kind of one of the ways they do it without actually um, having like a new whole bill get filibustered, right? So generally speaking, they fold it into the plan, they blend it into the current budget plan. And it, I mean, it needs to get past the Senate and then it goes into like like the individual committees. So like the Department of Transportation, the Housing and Urban Development, like it goes into those departments and they review it. And generally speaking, I think they'll, they're a little bit friendlier. I mean, call it a hunch, but I'm pretty sure they are. Uh, but yeah. So that got announced, and I think that was one of the ways in which the extraordinary measures were enacted. And that was one of the ways that the Treasury is going to use to to avoid defaulting on their loans. I don't know if it has anything to do with each other, but but it might. So fast forward to today, I mean, it actually got passed, I think. I mean, the Senate actually approved of the framework. It approved of the reconciliation thing. And, you know, some more details in case you're wondering. Apparently, this is going to be paid for throughout the term of the bill. And I'm quoting whoever wrote this bill. But it's supposed to be paid for through higher tax revenues, healthcare savings, and longer term economic growth, which kind of makes sense. It also doesn't make sense. It, they're also going to try and tax like, um, you know, any, any sort of carbon pollution importer. Like if you're bringing in some a product that is, you know, increasing our carbon footprint on the planet, uh, there's going to be an additional tax there. I think there's just going to be more taxes in general uh, towards things that are actually are eco-friendly. So they're looking towards things like that, programs like that. Additionally, higher corporate taxes, they're going to try and reform corporate and international, the tax structure there and the tax rates and tax structure for higher income earners. Apparently, reformation of that is supposed to finance what looks like the $6 trillion that the administration is trying to spend in fiscal year 2022. So that is so far what I am seeing. Are all these bad? Are all these good? I have no idea. But you know what is pretty cool is that CPI data came out. Now that was really what we wanted to talk about, like I mentioned earlier, because we really wanted to know whether or not inflation had peaked in July or had it not peaked in July. And so far, um, the markets are pretty excited that it looks like seemingly inflation did peak in July because uh, CPI data or CPI was up 5.4%, which was a lot better than what people had expected. It's still a lot. I mean, 5.4% increase in CPI is quite a bit, but it was 0.4% apparently shy of the expectations or something like that. And a lot of people were really shocked to see that used car prices didn't climb as fast as it did. I mean, it only went up by 0.2% and people were expecting a lot more than that. You know, I mean, back in June, used car prices went up 10%. Um, So a lot of people that are in the inflation is transitory camp, you know, there's one thing that supports your argument right there. Used car prices are flattened. Granted, the used car 
industry versus the new car industry. I don't know if that's a really good indicator of inflation. You be the judge, but I really don't think so. My thing is, I think inflation, a good measure of inflation, you know, let's look at prices of things that are actually inelastic, uh, which I think, you know, this, the CPI data covers a lot of things. But uh, I think the core thing that it covers is food and energy. And I don't know if water is baked in there, but I also think water is, I mean, there's a lot of water subsidies from the government. So whatever, but core inflation rose by 0.3% last month. Uh, which is shy of, of what was forecasted, which is 0.4%. You know, and, co- and core inflation is actually the food and energy prices. You know, the super inelastic stuff. If you have $100 left in the bank account, you know, you're not going to go play around a golf with that and try and break the course record. You know, you're going to go spend it on groceries for the next week, you know, until you get your next paycheck. So I think... CPI data look great. I mean, PPI data, I think, is coming out tomorrow morning. So we'll have to look there and see, and see if there are still some bottlenecks in the supply chain. But for now, I mean, CPI data kind of indicated that, hey, maybe this inflation thing is actually, um, you know, maybe the transition is almost over. Maybe this transitory phase is, is coming to an end here pretty soon. But at the same time, I also think the Delta variant has shocked the economy. So maybe that was part of the reason why the CPI uh, numbers missed expectations by such a marginal amount. I mean, when the report came out for the CPI data, it pretty much said it hit expectations because it was so, it, it barely came in under expectations. I mean, seriously, like it's it's so marginal. Uh, it's enough to say that it did. And it's enough to say that, hey, maybe inflation did peak back in the month of June and July. But I don't know. This could be a little bit premature because of the Delta variant, like I said. But at the same time, it could also be because, you know what? You know, we have more job openings out there than workers available to fill and people need to join workforce participation in order for us to actually make up for the entire labor deficit. And and I think because of that, you know, the, the CPI numbers were important because if they did go up, like if and employment wasn't going down and all that kind of stuff, there would be some sort of mismatch here. Because if, I mean, just think about it. Like if, if things became more expensive, more and more people would go back into the workforce and come out of workforce non-participation because things are more expensive. So you need to work a little bit more to earn more money to pay for the inelastic thing that you need and the inelastic thing that you do want, right? So that's kind of my theory on that. You know, I I think this number, this data was really important because of one, yeah, does it measure inflation very well, but also like how over is the is the pandemic, right? A lot of people want to know how scary this Delta variant thing is. Um, and I think, you know, there's two different arguments here. There's, there's one that's, you know, the Delta variant is much scarier or people are more shocked by this Delta variant and scared of this thing and getting sick and all that kind of stuff that they're not willing to go out and spend and not going, not willing to go out and work. So they're, they're still pinching their pennies. They're still, you know, being kind of a doomsday prepper, but not really, I don't want to ever like, I don't want to ever throw that superlative on everybody, but you know, but at the same time, the other thing could be just maybe, maybe the CPI data is just not going up because it's it, it's been super accelerated for the last few months that, you know, at some point, you know, no matter how crazy inflation gets, you know, you just can't pay for that inelastic product, right? I mean, everybody knows about the demand schedule when it comes to economics, right? Would you rather sell five beers for $10 or 20 beers for $5? Well, if you sell 20 beers for $5, you revenue $100. If you sell 10 beers for $5, you only revenue 50 bucks. So, I think maybe that has to do with the plateau that we're seeing. And it's not necessarily a plateau, but it's still up 5.4%, which is significant. But I mean, the plateau and acceleration, if you will, of the CPI data. So 
it just depends on how you want to look at it, right? I don't want to sit here and say, this is how you should or shouldn't look at it. I mean, I'm just trying to tell you something that maybe invigorates your curiosity towards this subject and maybe it inclines you to do your research and tell me where I'm wrong. And maybe you, you're inclined to tell me your opinion. I'm more than happy to hear your opinion. I'm more than happy to share mine. Uh, if you've ever wanted, like I said, DM Drunkonomics on our social media platforms. Uh, additionally, I also want to say one thing real quick. The CPI data came out. The markets reacted pretty positively at first to the fact that inflation started to, it seemed like it was hitting a plateau. And then the bonds, I think, were also looking for a direction to go on after this great CPI data. So this morning, the bonds were flat. I mean, it didn't move. And then as the day progressed, the bonds started to dip a little bit. And generally speaking, when bonds dip, uh, you know, we saw this earlier this year when the, you know, when the 10 year yield uh, finally crossed over 1% and then it crossed over that dreaded 130 support level that everyone's talking about now. You know, tech got destroyed by the bond market. Well, today, bond markets didn't do very well. The yield curve, I think, did steepen a little bit, which is why I think financials did pretty well today. The bonds across the board were down. And I think a lot of that started when the chairman of like the Dallas Federal Reserve and I think might have been the St. Louis Federal Reserve, but I, I, or I, I might be wrong, but I know the Dallas Federal Reserve at least went on CNBC today and said, hey, we need to start tapering maybe even this year. We need to start tapering. And I think that's kind of when the bonds start to overreact. You know, I didn't see what happened with the tips market, tips being inflation protected securities. I didn't see what happened with them, but I think part of what influenced the bond markets uh, and the yields going down was uh, this this announcement that they need to start tapering, that the Dallas Fed chair, I think it's Bob Kaplan, I think that's his name, Robert Kaplan, was like, hey, we need to start tapering. So bonds started to react the way they do whenever Fed chairs say, hey, we need to start tapering. Um, additionally, you know, financials, I mean, what a weird time, I guess. I can't think of a better word for this, but what a weird time for financials. I mean, the loan to deposit ratio is 59%. And historically, the loan to deposit ratio is 90%. So the banks are sitting here on this massive cash deposit that's all sitting there on their books as a liability, right? Normally speaking, 90% of the deposits are loaned out and 10% of the deposits are sitting there in cash. But now, I mean, it's down to 59%. So they're losing money technically on the liabilities that, you know, is the other, what would it be, 41%. And I think part of the reason why the bond market's reacting the way they are is because the banks need to hold a ton of securities. When they have that 59% loan to deposit ratio, well, what do they do with that other 41% in cash? Well, they need to buy some securities. What is the most secure security in the world? Well, government bonds. So, um, you know, I thought maybe that had to do with why the bond market decided to come down a little bit, not come down, but at least the yields came down. So I don't know, pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, I, I had no idea the loan deposit ratio was as low as it was. It blows my mind. But let me know what you think. I'm sorry this episode was so awkward. I need James here. Uh, I feel terrible that he got called away. Let's just say for business. He got called away for business. Um, so I had to do this episode myself. Hopefully it wasn't too unbearable. If it was, um, don't worry. We'll have James back on Monday and we will all be Drunkonomical forever then. Like I said, feel free to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Drunkonomical, D-R-U-N-K-N-E-O-M-I-C-A-L. You can find us on LinkedIn. What else do we have? TikTok. We also have merch, shop.spreadshirt.com slash Drunkonomics. We also have Patreon, P-A-T-E-R-O-N dot C-O-M slash Drunkonomics. And with that said, I don't know, you know me. I always like it when people play chestnut checkers. Um, I also like it when people just, instead of bragging, just say it. Don't brag, just say it. 
you know, I also hope you filled and killed. I certainly have, which is why I'm bringing this presentation to its conclusion. And um, last but not least, um, hope you guys are all um, all staying drunk and alcohol out there for the rest of us. Okay, cheers. A Huda Media Production.